you are listening to By the Book. Because if you don't look at the world through the Bible, you will never see it right. Welcome to By the Book. This is your host for episode 22, Alan Griffith. It's a privilege to speak to you. It's a privilege to have you listening. We have been talking about the rapture. And if you've been listening, I'm going to say some things that you've already heard, and you're probably saying, get on with the next stuff. But I want to just give you this wonderful thought. Jesus Christ is coming again. John closed the book of Revelation with that thought, even so come Lord Jesus. I want you to know that's my prayer. I beg God for that every day. Now, there are a lot of people who aren't saved. If you're not saved, bless your heart, you have to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, confess yourself a sinner, believe that when he died on the cross and shed his blood, it was for you. Turn aside hope from anything else you have ever trusted in, whether it be your good works or the church you go to or sacraments or ordinances, whatever it might be, you have to refuse and reject everything else but Jesus Christ himself and be saved. Ask God the Father to save you because Jesus Christ died for you. I long for him to come back, and that's why I hope you're saved, and I pray that God will save a lot of people, but listen, Uh, I long for the return of Jesus Christ. And uh, Paul longed for the return of Jesus Christ. And when Paul ministered to people uh, in Bible days, uh, he was encouraged that they would long for Jesus Christ. Let me remind you of what he wrote in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. The Thessalonian church was a great church. And he wrote to encourage them, and he reminded them that when they had gotten saved, they, and I'm looking at verses 9 and 10, they had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And then he said this, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Wow. To wait for his son from heaven. That term wait speaks of anticipation and expectation. Listen, I don't know what you're looking for. I'm looking for him. Uh, We're not looking for signs. We're not looking for other events. Though, as I mentioned last time, other things could happen before the Lord Jesus comes back at the rapture, but nothing else has to happen. And so these believers were waiting, not for signs or events or whatever, they were waiting for God's Son from heaven. That's what I'm waiting for. I hope that's what you're waiting for. Paul wrote to the believers in Philippi, and he said this in chapter 3 and verse 20, For our conversation, we pointed out a couple of sessions ago, that term speaks of of citizenship. It's an old English term. It renders citizenship better than conversation. But here's what he said. Our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven. Heaven is home when you're saved. And then he said, from whence, from heaven also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that what you're doing? 
Are you looking for the Savior? He's coming back. It could be today. I hope it is. Well, last time we turned our attention to what I call the prophetic framework of the Bible that leads us to our understanding, not only that there is an event called the rapture, but it also will help us with the timing of the rapture, because there's lots of views about that, and I'm not going to rehearse all those views, but again, some people, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-wrath, whatever, we're pre-trib. We believe Jesus Christ is coming back at the rapture before what is commonly called the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, and we're going to work our way to talk about those things. Last time, we went back to the beginning of time. We talked about Adam and Eve sinning. We talked about God's promise of salvation and redemption. We talked about the fact that God did not do anything immediately, and for a few thousand years, the world stood in absolute rebellion against God. Whatever religion they had was idolatrous. And then God intervened in human experience. God appeared to a man, one man, his name, Abram. He was a descendant of Noah's son, Shem. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Abram was a descendant of Shem. Now, where are we in history? Well, the judge, uh, the flood of Noah's day has taken place. Uh, the judgment at the Tower of Babel has taken place. <clears throat> and we suggested to you that out of Babel came three languages, one spoken by the descendants of Shem, one spoken by the descendants of Japheth, one spoken by the descendants of Ham, that forced people apart to spread around the world as God had intended and told them. And then God steps in to reintroduce himself to his creation, and he appears to this man, Abram. And we talked a little bit, made passing reference to the fact that in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3, God spoke to Abram and made promises that he would fulfill if Abram would obey him, follow him. So I want, I want to read Genesis 12, 1 to 3, and then we're going to move on from where we were last time. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. I want to focus our attention on the first promise that God gave to Abram. This is critical to understanding the Bible's message of prophecy. It comes from verse 2 of Genesis 12. Here's what God said. I will make of thee a great nation. 
What a promise. Now, just think about that. Here's the whole world in rebellion against God. The world does not know God, and God all of a sudden appears to this man, tells him to leave his family, to follow God, where God would lead him and direct him. And then he says to him, I will make of thee a great nation. Wow, what a promise. Amazing promise. And Abram accepted the challenge. He obeyed God, he followed God, and he arrived in what is present-day Israel. It was the land of Canaan then, but it is present-day Israel. When he arrived in Canaan, God appeared to him again. In Genesis 12 and verse 7, he has now followed God, gotten to the land of Canaan. Genesis 12, verse 7, God speaks to Abram again. He had appeared to him. Now he comes and speaks to him again. Here's what he said. Unto thy seed will I give this land. Two issues are included in the promise, and you must not miss this. The first issue is Abram's seed, his physical descendants. The second issue is the land to which God had led him. Again, that's present-day Israel. So God told Abram that he would give the land of present-day Israel to the physical descendants of Abram. Now, if you miss this, or if you ignore this, you will get confused about the future of the nation of Israel, and you will be confused about prophecy for the end times. Now, think about that, because just to talk about that brings us right to present day where we can think about that land, Israel, that exists right now. Now, for a long time, as you know, the Jewish people were not in Israel. Uh, They were scattered back in 70 AD, years and years and years ago. And they never had control of this land, Israel, that God had promised to Abram and his descendants. They never had control of it again until 1948. That's not very long ago. All those years, they had been scattered. 1948. Now, they had been gathering back into the land. Many of the Jews had been coming back into the land. But in 1948, they determined that they were going to establish themselves as a nation, and they they made that claim, and they were recognized by many nations gradually. War started right away with uh, the Arabs and so on. I'm not going to get into all that at this point, but they have that land now. And that's the land that God promised to Abram many, many, many years ago. Don't miss this. Don't ignore this, or you'll get confused. Now, when we move to Genesis 13, we've just talked about Genesis 12. If we move to Genesis 13, verses 14 to 18, the seed 
and the land are mentioned together again. Now, we'll talk about that in a minute. But according to Genesis 12, 10 through 13, 4, Abram had actually taken his wife and his nephew Lot and left the promised land to go into Egypt due to famine. Now, I marvel at that. I marvel that he gets in the land. God said, this is the land that I'm going to give to you and to your seed. And famine comes and Abram abandons the land and heads down into Egypt. But God used that. Now, setting the detail aside of what happened down in Egypt, we're not going to get into that at this point. We'll just acknowledge that when they return to the promised land, Abram and Sarah comes back and Lot comes back. And when they come back to the promised land, they had a great deal of wealth. It included silver and gold and various flocks and herds and servants. But when they got back to the promised land, there was turmoil, there was conflict. And it arose among the servants of Abram and the servants of Lot. And the conflict brought about a parting of the ways between these two men. Abram gave Lot the, the choice, go where you want to go. And Lot chose to move toward the city of Sodom, and that's a story in itself. But once he was going, once Lot was out of the picture, the Lord spoke to Abram again. It's recorded in Genesis 13, verses 14 and 15. And here's what he said He said, Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. Then in verse 17, the Lord said, Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Now take notice of that. God had already said to Abram, I'll give the land to your seed, your physical descendants. But now notice this, the promise of the land and seed are confirmed to be, listen to the word, forever. Forever. You talk about Israel today. God promised that land to the descendants of Abram forever. Now we're going to see more detail. We're going to see a lot more to come. But we move to Genesis 15. And the Lord appeared to Abram in a vision. And in verse 1, he told Abram this. I'm going to read it to you. Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. In other words, he promised Abram protection and blessing. But he made other promises, and one of the promises had to do with physical descendants. And so Abram responds to God after God saying, you know, I, I am your great reward, and I am your shield, and God is uh, 
kind of challenged by Abram, I'm sure with caution. But you see, Abram didn't have any children yet. And so he said that to God. He said, I don't even have seed. I don't even have a child. Well, the Lord answered and told Abram that he would father a child. And his seed would become as the number of the stars. Now, it is at this point, by the way, I don't want to go too far off on a tangent, but it's it's important for you to know, if you don't know, it is at this point that Abram got saved. Genesis 15, 6 says, And he believed in the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him, Abram, for righteousness. He believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Paul tells us in Romans 4, in verse 3, that this is the time that Abram's faith justified him in God's sight. And it's a great truth to tuck away because it is foundational to our salvation in the sense, and this is why it was brought up in Romans 4, you get saved by faith, you don't get saved by works. However, in Genesis 15, 8, Abram asked God, how he would know that he would inherit the land. So now God says, you're definitely going to have a seed. You are going to have a child. And Abram then responds, well, how am I going to know that I will inherit this land? And that brings us to one of the most important events in Bible history. In Genesis 15, 9 to 18, And I'm not going to take time to to examine the verses, but this is when God makes his covenant with Abraham. Genesis 15, 9 to 18, this unconditional Abrahamic covenant. And there, in that experience, God sealed his promise to Abram, sealed his promise of giving him the land, giving it to his seed, giving it to him forever. The promise is sealed, and this is what's critical, without requiring any action on Abram's part. If you read those verses and see the establishment of that covenant, it's all God who's making the promises. It's not a twofold agreement where God says, you do this, I'll do this. God is here confirming the covenant as unconditional. God declared what he was going to do in and through Abram. He guaranteed the fulfillment of his promise regardless of Abram's weakness or failure. And that's critical because Abram had his weakness and failure and his descendants had their weakness and failure. But this promise was unconditional and it still stands. We're going to see more detail and specificity as we go on. But I want you to know that God's unconditional promise of the land and the seed to the descendants of Abram forever is affirmed right here in Genesis 15. Boy, I hate to stop. We're going to have to stop. We'll pick up next time. I hope you'll keep listening. We're we're working our way through Scripture. There's a lot to it, but you and I have to get this history. You and I have to get this prophecy. I hope you'll join us next time. Lord bless you.